Welcome back, everyone. This is Employment Notebook on localjobnetwork.com radio. Today we are talking about the Affordable Care Act from the perspective of employers, and this is part two of our discussion. I'm Lynn Molitor from the Local Job Network. In our last episode, we covered the basics of the new law and the definition of full-time employees when it comes to health insurance benefits that employers must offer to their employees. If you missed that discussion, please check it out with our on-demand radio. We are talking today with Ken Marsh and Chad Winters from Infinity Benefit Solutions. Thank you for sharing your expertise with all of us today. In this episode, we're going to talk about pricing, coverage, and any penalties that employers should know about. But in case our listeners missed part one of our discussion, could you tell everyone a little bit about yourselves and what you do at Infinity Benefit Solutions? Ken? Sure. Thanks again, Lynn, for having us. I'm uh, Ken Marsh with Infinity Benefit Solutions. We help employers, we help individuals uh, obtain coverage uh, for benefits and really help them come to the decisions uh, to make the best choices for their benefits overall. And I'm the vice president of sales and account management uh, with the firm. And then Chad Winters, I'll let him introduce himself. Yes, I'm an employee benefit consultant at Infinity Benefit Solutions. I work with groups um, making sure that they're compliant with the requirements of the Affordable Care Act as well as other regulatory um, requirements, uh, really trying to be their strategic proactive partner on the benefits level. And as we have found out from our last episode, you're the perfect people to talk with us today. So I would like to start this discussion with a basic question that I think many people wonder about. Can an employer simply decide not to offer health insurance coverage and then just tell their employees to access the health insurance marketplace that is now available to everyone? So the answer is yes. Uh, Small employers today, which is an employer that has less than 50 full-time equivalent employees, uh, is not subject to a penalty if they do not offer coverage. And those uh, employees can purchase their coverage through the exchange. A large employer, so an employer with more than 50 uh, full-time equivalent employees, would be subjected to a penalty starting in 2015 if they elect to not offer coverage. Ah. And those individuals would be eligible, so the employees of that firm would be eligible to purchase coverage through the exchange as well. And I would just add that nothing before January 1st, 2014 required employers to offer coverage. They just voluntarily chose to, and I think that's something that gets missed in this discussion when we're talking about having to offer coverage or not having to offer coverage. Employers traditionally did this to attract and retain quality talent and to take care of their employees, show some appreciation. Also, employer-sponsored insurance does have some tax advantages to it, too. Oh, okay. Thank you. Actually, that's a good um, lead into my next question. So when I was uh, shopping around for my first job many years ago, actually, uh, one of the litmus tests I always used was to compare benefits like health insurance coverage. So is health insurance coverage still a differentiator when comparing employers under this new law? Uh, Absolutely. Oh, okay. You know, so in other words, are employees still using benefits as kind of the litmus test for which employer they select? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, to Chad's point, up to this point, employers have always been able to to not offer coverage. And the reason that they've continued to do so uh, is for that attraction tool and that retention tool for employees. But under the new law, would the benefits probably be very similar from large employer to large employer? 
So, yeah, the health insurance coverage that I get from one to the other? Well, many of the, most of the requirements until 2016 apply to small groups, to a small employer. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about the changes and the requirements that uh, will, will be going into effect in 2016. So up until uh, our correction, 2014, uh, January 1st of 2016, the definition will actually be expanded to employers that have up to 99 full-time equivalent employees. Mm-hmm. And those policies also must comply with many of the reforms or all of the reforms and new requirements of the plan designs. But up to that point, there still will be differences between employers with their plans from one company to another if they're still a large group employer. Oh, and a, okay. There's also different contribution um, amounts that employers are willing to do, so how much it actually costs the individual. So employers will be able to set their contribution. There are different products in the marketplace now. So one of the uh, side effects of this law, for small groups at least, has been to install some new products that we previously haven't seen um, such as uh, level-funded plans that are not required to be compliant with some of the Affordable Care Act market reforms, so they can still use medical underwriting to their advantage. So there is, um, it still is a differentiator, I would say, and there is going to be probably more products than the further we get along with this law. Oh, okay. Yeah, as people uh, get more comfortable with the law, then the new plans will be developed. And and carriers will try to, you know, capture market share. Sure. In ways that they haven't before when you just had the fully insured market for small groups. You know, and carriers were happy to do that. They mm-hmm. kind of knew what their risk was. Now yeah. you've thrown this into the mix and they need to figure out different ways to uh, attract market yeah. share. One additional component as well that employers are looking at much more today than they ever have is how they distribute cost onto the employee. Mm -hmm. Historically, employers would uh, pay a percentage of the premium and then have the employee pay the other, uh, the balance of that premium. Right. And that is really becoming a a, a contribution strategy that's um, becoming less popular. Oh, really? Absolutely. And and what we're working with our groups on, uh, which is becoming more popular and of interest to them, is this defined contribution strategy. So whether you're a small group or a large group, really defining the amount of money from a dollar perspective that you give to each employee, allowing that employee to purchase coverage um, that fits their need. And if it goes over that amount or exceeds that amount, then that's the employee's cost. Year over year, the employer now knows what their true liability is because it's not tied to a percentage of a premium. It's tied to a fixed dollar amount. So in addition to looking at different plan designs and things like that, that for the most part will be becoming more standardized. The contribution approach and strategy is actually becoming uh, much more of a conversation uh, with employers today. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't even heard that option before. If an employer offers coverage, but an employee elects to go to the health insurance marketplace to buy coverage, are there any impacts to the employer under this situation? That depends. Um, it depends on a number of things, whether or not the um, individual quali- would have qualified for a subsidy. So uh, traditional or what this law says that if your employer offers coverage that is deemed to be affordable and meets minimum value, the impact to the employee is that they would no longer be able to qualify for a subsidy under in the marketplace. Okay. If the coverage is unaffordable, or there's no offer of coverage, that individual could then still qualify for a subsidy. Okay. And that subsidy is a trigger for the penalty for large employers. So moving on, how does the Affordable Care Act 
impact how insurance companies price the plan and coverage that employers purchase? Yeah, this is this is probably one of the the biggest changes that uh, that will be coming starting 2014, January 1st, 2014, uh, specifically in the small group market. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rating of policies will be done through uh, what is called adjusted community rating. Okay. And with adjusted community rating, there's really four criteria that can be used. That is whether the, the number of people that use tobacco, where the group is located from a geographic perspective, once again, if there is an employee or employee spouse, the rate can be different based on those two factors there. Also to age within the group as well, or age mm-hmm. among the demographics. So those four cr- criteria can be used. From there, however, the coverage has to be basically the same from a very standardized group from group to group. So the coverage okay. has to be standardized outside of those four factors. Now, large groups can still be underwritten based on guidelines that are used today. Individuals are subject to, well, I called them penalties, but I actually learned that they're um, subject to taxes under the new law. Is that correct? Yes, it's a non-deductible excise tax, and excise tax is an effective penalty. Okay. So. Our tax for short. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, are employers subject to any, any penalties? I'm assuming they're called penalties for employers and not taxes. Maybe I'm wrong there. Yeah, we'll call them penalties. Okay. Um, I mean, they are non-deductible excise taxes. Oh, all right. Excise taxes are penalties, just like the tax on tobacco products is an excise tax. Oh, all right. So, yes, employers, large employers, those with more than 50 full-time equivalent employees, which we described in the last um, podcast, would be subject to penalties for failing to um, offer coverage or for offering coverage to employees that is deemed unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Um, the no-offer penalty is a $2,000 non-deductible excise tax per full-time employee minus the first 30 full-time employees. So if you have 50 full-time employees, you don't offer coverage, then your penalty would be $40,000. Okay. Um, For the unaffordability penalty, and and I have to preface this by saying the penalty is only triggered if there's an individual who goes to the marketplace and qualifies for a subsidy. So... So if you had a uh, an employer had a hundred employees, they're all single people, and they were all paid a hundred thousand dollars, and that employer didn't offer coverage. Yeah, I can't think of a situation in which they would ever pay a penalty. Uh Um, Then you have the other penalty, which is called the unaffordability penalty. Uh, The unaffordability penalty comes into effect when an an individual has to pay more than nine and a half percent of their household income to the employee contribution. Mm-hmm. If that employee chooses to waive coverage, go to the marketplace and qualifies for a subsidy, that would trigger an individual $3,000 penalty. And so that's per person that goes to the marketplace and qualifies for a subsidy. Um, it's actually lesser of, so if you have a large portion of people going to the marketplace and getting a subsidy because the coverage is unaffordable, it would be the lesser of the $3,000 per person or the $2,000 penalty across the board. And just so our listeners know, Chad answered that question without any notes. That's impressive. (laughs) You obviously know this topic. I've done it a lot. I've done lots of seminars where I... So how uh, this excise tax, how is it known yet how the government will collect this from employers? So section... 6056 of the U.S. Code. Well, so there is an employer reporting requirement for large employers. Okay. Um, large employers will be required to 
provide employees with a statement saying whether or not they offered coverages, the months they offered coverages, the cost of coverage. Uh, that's going to be on the same schedule as your W-2 reporting. Ah, oh, And okay. then there is um, an IRS reporting requirement too. Um, so that would be when you file your taxes and yeah. uh, tax year. That requires a certain subset of information, such as how much the cost for the single employee or, or employee contribution, all the employees that you offered coverage to. And these are proposed regulations that just came out in September. Oh, and for okay. the first year, the reporting is voluntary. Right. What the proposed regulations versus the final regulations look like could be completely different. And they have an eye towards trying to simplify the reporting <laughs> requirements. Oh, well, that's good. It's a, it's a noble goal, but we'll see how they uh, come about doing that. So um, bottom line, will insurance be less expensive once the law takes effect? But maybe the question's not that basic. Well, I think um, with the new rating system, there will clearly be individuals and in small businesses um, that do benefit from the new rating guidelines. And um, the idea with community rating is, is that the higher risks uh, will come down mm-hmm. and the lower risks will go up uh, to really compensate um, to compensate that. So there will be more of a general overall rate. Um, so very clearly, there will be groups and individuals that are benefiting and, and ones that, uh. that, are, that are not. Uh, and so I think, you know, you'll hear a lot about the ones that aren't um, right. and maybe not as much about the ones that are. So I think there's a, there's a lot more to, to come um, with that exact question. There's no doubt. And I think it's important to point out a situation that's occurred a couple of times with uh, some of our groups where they're looking at that $2,000 penalty for not offering coverage. And yeah. they feel like it's a great deal. Um, they currently uh. are paying four to $5,000 a year in individ- for an individual policy. So for some groups who have 100 or 200 employees, they could be paying $800,000 for their insurance. And now you're saying, you know, if I pay $340,000, do I make $460,000? Right. Uh, you really need to look at the tax implications of not offering coverage. We say it's a $2,000 penalty, mm-hmm. but it's non-deductible. And it's an excise tax, so it comes after. You can't deduct it as you currently oh. can. So $2,000 quickly turns into about thirty-three to 3500 Plus, a lot of those employers are having to face the idea of not offering coverage or taking away a benefit and then grossing up somebody's income. When you gross up somebody's income, you're paying taxes on that. The individual's paying taxes on that, and then they only buy purchase plans post-tax. Oh, so yeah. now that you know, extra dollar you gave them looks like 70 cents to that person to go buy a plan that could be sub, not as good as the plan that was offered under the group benefit. Oh, man, you're, that was, yeah, that was an excellent point. Yeah, you just never, you know, you, you hear so much about it, and you just, until you start delving into some of the details, you truly have an appreciation for the twists and turns. Uh, we've barely touched on the surface of this topic, but we have run out of time today. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to add to the um, for the benefit of our employers and their representatives who are listening today? I, I would add a final note that, you know, you really should um, certainly work with a broker if you uh, are currently not working with a broker, but learn everything that's available to you because there are still options under the changes and uh, under the Affordable Care Act for both small employers and large employers. And that's what we're focusing on with our groups. Here's the law. 
Now, what can you do uh, within the guidelines of the law? There still are options and things that employers can do to really address overall healthcare cost. And I just like to put in a plug for Infinity Benefit Solutions. I really think that employers need to look at who they're working with and really evaluate whether they're a proactive strategic partner. We, you know, we've discussed a number of unintended consequences to this law, and one of the things that we really pride ourselves on doing is being forward-thinking mm-hmm. when it comes toward to our groups looking at what their specific strategic objectives are and how we can help them um, reach those objectives, what's out there in the marketplace for them to be able to do the things they want to do from a cost standpoint, but also from an employee retention standpoint. Excellent. So if people do have questions for you, how is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, you can go visit our website at www.infinitybenefitsolutions.biz, or you can contact me directly at uh, my office. Uh, My number is 414-615-1874. I'm more than happy to give, you know, as much advice as I I can over the phone or on a one-on-one meeting, so. And with that, we are going to wrap up. Thank you to my guests, Ken Marsh and Chad Winters, for getting us up to speed on the Affordable Care Act. I sure know more than I did before we started, and this was very helpful. If you have ideas for future topics of Employment Notebook, please drop me a note at lgnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm Lynn Molitor on localjobnetwork.com radio. Thanks for listening.